Welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and much more. Subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player and don't forget to sign up to www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to another episode of The Big Deal. I'm Andrew Montesi, joined again by AFL legend Warren Treadray. Now, Treaders, today we're going behind the scenes at one of the NRL's most iconic clubs. Yeah, we certainly are, Monty. We're joined by Brock Schaefer, who's the Chief Operating Officer of the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Well, Brock has been with the Bunnies for more than eight years, and a lot has happened in that time. He was the GM of the club's community efforts, then led the football operations before becoming COO. Prior to joining South, he was the CEO of the Northern Pride Rugby League and also spent some time growing cricket in Papua New Guinea. Well, Brock, sounds like you've been up to a bit, mate, and you're also building a whole new facility, which is very, very, well, effectively being done as of now. Yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's good to hear the CV um, read back out to me. There's been, a, been some highs and lows in that little period. Um, but it is great to be at the South Sydney Rabbitohs now. And as you said, um, sitting in our, our grand new USANA High Performance Centre, it's um, been a journey to get to our new headquarters, our new home, but it's um, lovely to be speaking to you gentlemen uh, from the heart of it. Now, what does a day in the life look for an NRL COO mid-season post, well, almost through State of Origin, but that seems um, finished now because uh, the, the Maroons have won that one. Um, where do you sit right now and what's your focus on? I am a Queenslander working in um, Sydney's most famous club. So most days I spend walking around um, rubbing everyone's nose in um, <laughs> Queensland State of Victory. But uh, you're right, we're in we're right in the heart of the season. Um, we're closer to the end now than the beginning. Thankfully, from a club perspective, State of Origin is almost over. It's a period of immense disruption um, to the premiership and to what we do at a club every day when you take out four to five of your most senior players, your most experienced players, and arguably your best players to go and play State of Origin. It, it does um, leave the building and the club feeling a little bit different um, for that period of time. So I'm glad that that's almost over. And what we're doing now is looking down the barrel of finals. We started here really well. Um, we were top of the ladder six weeks ago, but we've been on a very rough trot. Um, so we've only had one win in the last month. We're in New Zealand. Um, the boys left yesterday. I jump on a plane uh, shortly after this phone call to join them. Um, and we need a win. Uh, playing New Zealand in Auckland, uh, tough game, but it's every game matters now. We're in, we've played in the last five prelim finals. We've made one grand final, but we haven't achieved that ultimate glory. So we know exactly what we're chasing here at South every day. It's a premiership, and that means a hell of a lot of hard work, a hell of a lot of tough decisions, and... Um, ultimately trying to get some alignment between from our board um, right through our playing group to make sure that we can um, we can be there on that day in October and list that cup and that's what we're, we're all focused on. You mentioned, you know, obviously a, a good start and then you have a string of losses. I remember my first gig working at an AFL club and, and, and the tangible impact that winning and losing has on the back office. It's, it's, I've, it was quite remarkable. How do you see that? Like you're going through a string of, of losses or a down period. What's actually going on behind the scenes for you? Yeah, 
it, it can be challenging. There's there's no doubt about that. I mean, I, I subscribe. There's a a manager in Major League Baseball, a guy called Joe Madden. Joe broke the curse at uh, the Boston Red Sox, broke it at the Chicago Cubs, and he's got any number of incredibly good sayings. But one of the ones he talks to all the time is, uh, "Win little and lose little." And what he means is, you know. Don't take the wins to, um, don't celebrate for a week and the losses don't mourn for a week. You've got to be able to move on from both victory and defeat quickly because the games come around very quickly. And I think that's something we're good at here at our club. Um, we don't get too high and we don't get too low. We focus on our process. Everything we do in the club, we try to build that process, whether it's out of our strat plan, into our commercial departments, in our charity arm, but particularly with our players and our coaches. They need to know that every week is going to look the same, whether we win or lose. They need to know that the energy um, inside the club is going to feel the same, whether we win or lose. We're not big for um, changing schedules day to day, week to week, based on what happened um, the week before. We believe very much in keeping things consistent for our group. I think there's a great... um, One of our directors will often talk about recency and how quickly you can um, become negative and, and feel downcast, particularly after a run like the one we've had. But what you've got to remember is what we've achieved in the balance of the season. We are still in the top eight, still playing finals. We, we're a win outside the top four. We're two wins from being first on the ladder. It's a condensed premiership table at the moment. Um, so we need to remember all of the strengths we have, the great footy that we can play. Um, and I think... Um, and you guys would know this. It's about giving the players a bit of belief at times like this. Um, you know, I think the best coaches keep things very simple at halftime and they keep things very simple um, during the week after a loss as well. The boys are craving belief. They want to hear a message that they can be confident in will help them improve and get the two points the following week. And JD, our coach, is very good at that. Um, we had our review meeting yesterday after our most recent defeat and to be fair, the boys trudge into that team room. The sort of the feet are pretty low. The uh, the eyes are downcast. Um, I saw them walk into the room. I saw them walk out of the room, and they were basically prancing on their way out. So um, there was a bit of belief given to them in that forty minutes, and I reckon they'll take that onto the field this week. You mentioned knee jerk reactions, which a lot of sporting clubs can get caught following very quickly. It sounds like your plans are in place, Sim. But can you take us through? your operational functions for an NFL club in the typical week and how it all comes together because effectively you've got two businesses. You've got the on-field and the off-field business. They each affect each other in a way, but they also sort of operate alongside each other, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's the getting unity and alignment between your commercial and your footy program is is one of the things that leads to success of sporting clubs. Uh, it's something we take really seriously at South. I, um, we have just moved into a new high-performance centre. It's the first time in the club's history that our commercial, our charity and our football programs have been under the uh, one roof, and that's phenomenal. But what that is bred in our club is we've had to work really hard to get alignment historically because the commercial team were across the road or they were a 15-minute drive away. Um, when, you, when you have that isolation between the central parts of your business, You've got to place that connection as one of your first priorities. And we set it as a priority from our board down to make sure that our commercial staff feel valued, that they understand that whilst they might not be helping the players prep in the gym or helping coach the team um, on a game day, that what they do is just as important. Um, We talk to our players about that. We make sure that there's a lot of gratitude 
um, from our playing group directed back to our non-football staff. And I think that's something that helps build us for success. We're set up as a business. Um, we have a CEO who oversees the entire club. Uh, myself as COO and we have a head of football who effectively fill the traditional GM football role that a lot of clubs um, still have. Um, our head of football is a more recruitment-facing um, portfolio. My portfolio is probably more on the culture, performance and business operations of footy. And the great part about that is it overlaps with a lot of our commercial programs. So I get to every day use my role to make sure that football and our commercial programs are really intertwined. Um, but to answer the question as simply as possible, a bit of gratitude and a bit of value displayed between your footy players, your coaches and your sponsorship team, your membership team, that goes a long way to making sure that everyone feels that they're contributing to getting wins um, and hopefully lifting a trophy. Now, you've uh, you've touched on the development of the Centre of Excellence, the Rabbitohs Centre. So that opened last month, a $26 million project, I believe. Um, so why are these centres so important? Obviously for high performance, but it's but it's so much more than that. Yeah, it is, it is more than just about the quality of your gym and um, how big your physio room is, for example. It's, it's very much about how you bring a club together to achieve your goals. But it's also, particularly for a club like South Sydney, and um, for those listeners who, don't, who may not be as familiar with South Sydney as others, we are, we're considered the pride of the league. Um, we were created in the foundation year of rugby league with the oldest club, 1908. And our club was born in the working-class suburbs of Sydney, uh, born in the heart of Redfern. Our, our players, our fans, our members, all of them come from working-class backgrounds. And that was true in 1908, and it's true today, um, albeit now we include prime ministers and governor-generals um, in, our, in our fans. But the club has always been born from the community, and it's been important today that we represent that every day. Um, so our high performance centre was very much about giving our players the best facilities, the best technology, the best opportunity to develop as players. But it was also about making sure that we weren't isolated from the people who support us. We moved from Redfern, our spiritual home. Redfern Oval is this beautiful inner city picturesque footy field. But it was a really small grandstand. Um, all the facilities for the players were un- underground, no natural light, a gym that struggled to get sort of 13 players through at a time. Uh, lecture theatre that in pre-season we players sitting on the ground in front of the chairs, on the staircases. Um, I think when it was built, we had maybe seven full-time staff in our footy program. We've got 25 now. So people were using sort of cupboards as offices. Um, it was just not best practice or high performance. Um, what we moved into here at the Rabbitohs Centre is very much the best of the best. It took us a really long time to build, and thank God it did. Um, because it meant we got the benefit of a range of other clubs, both in the AFL and the NRL, bringing centres online in the last decade, and we were able to learn from that. We, I've been to Frio, I've been to Port Adelaide, I've been, um, I've been to North Melbourne, Essendon, Richmond, all the NRL clubs. We've, we've been able to pick and choose the best things uh, from each of those centres and bring them to life here at the Rabbitohs. Can you take us through why it? took a 10-year journey was it patience or was it just process and funding and you know homework or can you go through that whole uh, process not 
you know, 10 years worth, but just a few minutes just to give us some insight as to why it takes 10 years for such a wonderful precinct to be built. Anyone who's renovated or built a house um, can give you some feedback on some of the developmental um, loopholes you've got to jump through. But I started the club in 2015 and um, when I was recruited, the CEO at the time said, look, Rob, you know, nice new building here at Redfern, but um, in 12 months' time, we'll be in our new high-performance century in Maroubra. It took a decade. Um, so it was a good recruitment spiel. But why did it take so long? Um, a huge amount of government change in that time, uh, both at state and federal level. Um, we had a huge chunk of funding secured from the federal government from to- when Tony Abbott was Prime Minister um, in 2014. Um, but it took us a really long time to nail down some state government funding to support the development. In the end, the state government opened up a, a huge bucket of high performance centre funding for NRL clubs in New South Wales. There was some strong recognition from the New South Wales state government that we were lagging behind in sport facilities compared to particularly Victoria um, and to a lesser extent Queensland and South Australia in terms of government funding for sporting community centres. Um, so we were able to lock down that last bit of funding and then we ran into uh, COVID. Um, which didn't help, um, delayed the project probably 12 to 18 months, just purely the pandemic. And then to a lesser extent, the war in the Ukraine um, caused some delays quite late to the structural steel um, for the facility. So there were some unavoidable um, things that popped up, particularly that the getting government to fund the facility is a big part of it. Um, state government, local government and federal government are all funding partners here and then the club invested $4 million as well. Um, so we were very fortunate. We were able to do a great deal of fundraising through our own channels. We've had some really sort of unprecedented in rugby league, particularly uh, philanthropic contributions to the building that have um, enabled the club to make our contribution as well um, without sort of jumping too deeply into our own savings and surpluses. Pretty amazing uh, to, to kind of pull that off over a decade. How do you maintain the strategy over the journey? You know, um, you you put together a great post on LinkedIn where you unpack some of it. You know, three I think it was three CEOs over that time. So leadership's turning over, and and technology's changing rapidly over that period. So what you what you planned ten years ago is completely different to what's delivered a decade later. How do you how do you keep strategy? Yeah, that's dead right. Three CEOs, uh, four head coaches. And I think it's seven heads of performance at one point were involved in um, developing this facility. We changed heads of performance literally a week before we signed the procurement contract for our gym. Um, and so in that one week, we sort of threw out one set of drawings for what equipment in our gym and got a whole new set. And I think one of the fortunate parts of this, and I, I certainly don't need to blow my trumpet because there have been so many people positively contributing to this project, but... It's been fortunate that I've been on the project since day one. Um, and from the beginning, both myself and our board had really strong opinions on what were non-negotiables for this facility. And one was community, that community was at the centre of what we did. Uh, one was culture. You're not the oldest club in the game and move into a new centre. That The new centre can feel like a university campus if you don't get it right. It can feel like a like a tech company. Um, I won't say which of the AFL clubs we went to, we brand spanking, beautiful high performance centre. And I didn't know what club was in it until I saw the coach wearing the polo. Um, the history wasn't on the walls. And and funnily enough, the coach himself said that. He said it was our, our greatest learning from 
developing this center was we forgot to take our history and culture with us. Um, so for, fortuitously, we always had some of those considerations front of mind. Um, and the biggest one, probably in terms of the footy areas, was about athlete flow. And I go back to um, one of the first centers I saw was the Hangout Essendon's uh, High Performance Center. And they had some really good learnings there about just what is the athlete's journey through the facility every day. And um, we put that front of mind. And to make my point about community and culture really firm, the first thing the athletes see when they walk into our football area is the South Keith classroom. And when the players are coming in in the morning, anywhere from 6.30 to 7.30, that classroom has a breakfast club in it. And local kids who go to the public schools in our area, or go to any school in our area, who may not actually be getting the opportunity to have breakfast at home, know that they can come into the Rabbitohs High Performance Centre, that they can meet one of our staff out the front, and they can come in and have breakfast. And so for me, you talk about gratitude and culture and history, the fact that our players and there's millionaire players walking through those doors every day, there's guys who are the, you know, the best players in rugby league, every morning they get to see those young kids and that helps remind them of what South Sydney is about, um, but also about how um, lucky they are to be here. So we embedded those three fundamental points in the development, community, culture and athlete flow, and we've allowed in the time CEOs, coaches, and heads of performance to have input on different decisions, but we never allowed a decision that would permanently sort of alter the building. We need this building to be first class, best in practice in 10 years' time when none of us might be here. So that allowed us to probably burn 80% of the crazy ideas um, just by testing them against those three foundational points. You mentioned those three foundational points. I'd like to... um focus in on culture for you guys and and branding um the rabbitos are synonymous with world sport you know the bunny logo how important is that to you know because it wasn't so long ago i remember you know marching in the street for the rabbitos trying to get back into the comp like it's you certainly haven't lost that focus and that must be very high in terms of where you sit and w- what you look for yeah it, it absolutely is um i've been here since 2015 so i've only been part of South Sydney in its, in its good times, you could argue. Um, been a powerhouse off the field. Um, we were defending premiers when I arrived. Um, all, almost on all metrics since I've been here, the club's been really successful. So I've only seen that element of our history. But I can tell you as many stories about hard times, about the fight back, about being excluded from the competition as those guys who lived through it because it is part of our conversations on a daily basis. When we gather as a senior leadership team, be it with our commercial leaders or our football leaders, our players and coaches, we're always recognising the history, the people who dug the well for this footy club. When you walk through the facility now, every, it's not always about what you put on the walls because what you put on the walls is um, is only as good as how you live it. But our walls do tell the story. Um, I'll give you an example that I think sums it up well for us. We were leaving Redfern, the spiritual home of the club. We used to play games there, obviously train there. Um, it is Redfern is synonymous with Indigenous history in our country. It's where Paul Keating gave the Redfern oration, the first Aboriginal legal service and medical service in the country were in Redfern. Um, it's so much part of our history. We were worried about losing it when we came. Um, and our head coach, who, like me, Jason's not born to South Sydney. He wasn't a South Sydney fan growing up but has always absorbed all the lessons of history. Um, we built a pre-season program where the players actually, in the end, they walked from Redfern Oval 
to Heffron Park, which is about a 15-kilometre walk. Um, but we stopped at every junior club in our district along that journey. At each junior club, we had either a former player or a great of our community speak to the group about what South Sydney means to them. Um, it was started at sort of 7 o'clock at night. It concluded at about 7 a.m. in the morning. Um, and one of the things the players did at the very start of that walk was walk through the hall of Redstone Oval. We have a team photo of every team that's played for the club all the way back to 1908. The players unscrewed each of those photos. They put them in boxes, heavy bloody boxes, mind you, and they carried those boxes with them to Heffron Park. And then the players screwed those photos back up on the wall. Um, so it's a part of what we do here every day. We talk about the people who've represented these, our jersey. We talk about the administrators who, who saved the club. George Piggins saved the club. Nick Pappas saved the club. We've got a great ownership group. Russell Crowe, Mike Cannon-Brooks, um, James Packer, who they're our modern-day custodians of this club who love our history. Um, so we talk about it every day, but there's nothing as practical as literally getting the boys to pick the history up and, and walk it to your new facility. Yeah, just amazing. It's a um, pretty incredible job that, that you guys have done to kind of integrate that community and culture while still being able to bring bring forth this like elite high-performance approach to sport. It's actually pretty amazing to hear you, hear you unpack it. But um, one, of the, one of the big challenges that, that we're all seeing and talking about talking about in sport uh is it's just the kind of the, the the pressure on on those guys at the at the tip of the spear namely coaches we've seen a lot going on in afl world with alistair clarkson and then damien hardwick and just kind of the pressure and the burnout and all of that sort of stuff i mean inside an nrl club you see firsthand the pressures on these key people uh, and then i know that you believe it actually could be even worse for nrl coaches than it is for AFL. I mean, can you tell us why that is? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think um, the AFL in many ways, and um, I hope no one from uh, the NRL is listening, but the AFL is in front of our game in many ways. And we 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 are lagging behind, particularly on something like coach wellbeing. And where I admire the AFL is the strength of the AFL Coaches Association. I think it does two things, the AFL-TA. I think it helps develop coaches. I think it works really well in the pathway to take good assistants, good development coaches, and give them all the tools to become a head coach. So I would argue that a lot of AFL head coaches are better prepared for the enormity of the task because they don't just understand the X's and O's. They actually understand all these things that come with the job title, the meetings, the management of staff. I think that's the thing where you never, you can't get experience in that as a coach. As an assistant coach, you might have a line coach or a development coach underneath you. But by and large, you don't have leadership experience. You've worked with players. You've been a player. You might have been a leader as a player. But that day-to-day grind of managing our 25 full-time staff who are looking for you to you for direction, for support, for mentoring, for kick up the ass. that's something that most coaches have never had experience um, to prepare for. I think the AFL does a better job in the theoretical sense, at least, of uh, their coaching programs. Um, and then well-being, I think there's more support in the AFL at the moment where a coach is coming out of the system um, to assist in their transition. We don't have an NRL Coaches Association. It doesn't exist. Um, so, you know, recently the Gold Coast Titans let go of their head coach um, a week and a half ago. I know I um, sent a message to him, but I'm not sure how many other people did. I'm not sure what formal structures there would be in place for Justin Holbrook to... 
um, work through his transition to find another job, to um, get through the huge emotional, uh, huge emotional experience of losing your job when you when you're midway through a season. So I, I really feel for coaches across most sports, but particularly in rugby league, we've got a lot of work to do. do does that just come to finances? Do you think there needs to be more funding for those areas? Because you know it's well known the AFL gives significant millions of dollars to the AFL Players Association. I assume that happens to the Coaching Association too. Is is that something you think needs to happen from headquarters to get that support so that you've got a, you know, you're not only a short, you're short-term in a coach, unless you're Wayne Bennett or Kevin Sheedy. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> it's not a long-term viability, same too as a player. So why those resources for one and not the other? Yeah, it's it's a really important question you raise, and and I absolutely believe that I think it should be co-funded. Um, fundamentally, the NRL has a responsibility there. I think clubs do as well, um, and I think the coaches themselves. I think there's something to be said for paying a membership fee to a union. I think it's important that you've got some skin in the game as a coach. Um, I think certainly the clubs and um, the governing body need to put some funding towards it. I know we as a club are prepared to do that. Um, I think there's probably also another space around um, player agents. I'm not sure our game does a very good job of regulating the role of player agents as they both manage players as well as manage coaches. I've seen plenty of situations in our game where that's led to perceptions of conflict of interest, shall we say. Um, you know, player agents are receiving 8% of a coach's salary. What role um, do they have in providing a wellbeing structure for head coaches in our game? Um, so I think there's also a role to be played by um, player agent. Um, you also mentioned before soft cap and um, you know the challenges that face football departments, and I assume as part of your role, you're heavily involved in that salary cap management. Um, is it adequate? Because COVID's obviously smacked that. We saw that in the AFL. We've seen it with you guys. Um, does it need to improve? Does it need to be higher? Does it need to be more resources added? Uh, yeah, I think it does. The, the game is growing. The game, both codes came through COVID in a really strong fashion. Um, the, the game needs to revisit the soft cap. I'm on a, uh, a working group with the NRL at the moment, so that is that is a live uh, matter at the moment. I think it probably will increase um, as it needs to. Um, and I think ultimately they're a blunt tool, the soft cap. Um, they It's effectively a, a policy action from the game and arguably by clubs to help probably diminish earnings, excuse me, of people at the top of the pyramid. I think that's what it was originally designed to do. People saw head coach salaries exploding and the soft cap was designed as a really rough tool to try to bring that into some regulation. Um, it may have done that, but the unintended consequence is that the resources available and other really important parts of footy programs are stretched. Um, you know, our footy cap decreased by 20% during COVID. It hasn't increased. Um, and I can tell you, we lost two staff last year to the AFL. Um, we have a larger cap. And ultimately, those staff can earn more money as a sports scientist in the AFL than they can in the NRL. That's a challenge for us. We want to have the best possible people working with our athletes. The soft cap needs to change. But it does link directly back, ultimately, in my opinion, to coach wellbeing. If the coach has got to make a decision between their earning potential, arguably how many assistant coaches they have, um, that's, that's not an appropriate sort of decision-making framework. Um, so soft cap, I'm sure it will go up. I think it will give um, clubs the support they need um, to better help our coaches. And ultimately, that means better prepared players and a better product to sell to our broadcasters, a better game for our fans to watch, 
um, you know, when you start cutting too close to the bone, it, it impacts what you see on the footy field. Yeah, you touched on, you know, coaches getting paid. And I mean, there is this perception that, you know, oh, you know, the, these coaches are, are, are paid well enough to to deal with the the crap that's thrown at them. I mean, that's not a not true, is it? I mean, the, we we do hear about the, the the big name coaches who might be getting paid huge dollars, but that certainly doesn't flow all the way through. No, it doesn't. I mean, it's it's very much a when once you reach the top of the tree, there's a lot of money to be earned as head coaches in in professional sport. But I think that's that's led to two things. Um, it's led to that argument that the fan has in the stand. Well, yeah, I can bag out the coaches on a million bucks. The same um, rubbish you hear them say about players. I can bull a player because they're paid enough to accept it. I mean, that's it's a ridiculous argument made by idiots. Um, and and you know, as, as a club and as a game, we're really strongly strongly against it. You know, we don't stand for any of the social media rubbish that we hear thrown at our players and our coaches. We're we're really strongly against it. That's really important. But to go back to that tree. I, I, it's an unpopular opinion. I'm sure if I go into my head coach's office and tell him I think he's overpaid, he might be o- overly happy. But I think I think the industry has it wrong. Um, how the industry fixes it is is the big challenge because ultimately you would probably need the support of all of your head coaches to say I agree and I'll take five to ten percent less to better pay my staff. But I, but I do think that is. Um, where it probably needs to get to. Um, the coaches on their way up, development coaches and assistant coaches, um, you look across benchmarking in the game, they're, they're, they can easily earn more money outside the game. Um, and I think that has you know two impacts. A lot of them lose their jobs when coaches move on as well, so their transition is harder because they're not coming from you know, the ability of earning a lot of money. But it also means when they get to the top of the tree, they're not going to do you any favours, right? If, I, if you feel you've been underpaid for seven years as an assistant coach, when you finally do become a head coach, you're going to get what's coming to you. Um, and I can understand that mentality. Um, so I generally believe the remuneration model is pretty flawed. I don't think assistant coaches and development coaches earn enough. Um, I, I'd like to really look at coaching and say, look, you know, the base salary might even be fixed. I mean, you would never fix it across a game. It's not going to work. But, you know, it's I'd have the base salary much lower than the average base salary currently is. And I would have the incentives unbelievably um, you know, I think a coach who wins a premiership should earn a million dollars that year, but I don't necessarily think it follows that they should be on a million every year after that. Uh, I think uh, it's almost to me the same way bankers and um, traders go into their jobs. Their their base salary is not significant. You know, their earnings are massive, but their base salary is a tiny part of that. Um, I think there's probably some space to do that in the coaching model of, say, taking these million dollar coaches and saying your base salary. Might be four hundred grand going forward, but when you win a comp, your little stepping stones along the way, be it make top eight, make top four, week one of finals, week two, week three, week four, that gets you to one point two. I mean, I don't want to underpay the guys who are successful, but I think at the moment the the tree is just the model is wrong. But it, it's going to take a fair journey to convince the coaches and the agents and um, everyone else to come on that journey with us. Well, it was interesting during the week. Um... And you talk about coaching good players. It looked like there was going to be a dangerous precedent set with Ben Hunt, that origin player, potentially walking out on a contract. In AFL land, it looks like players have got too much power when it comes to free agency in a way, but there is a compensation back. You guys have probably got it even worse because you you can negotiate with the club 12 months out from your contract. Let's be honest, that goes on probably longer than that. Um, And it it just seems as if it's all in the player's 
um, hands that power a lot of the time, unless a player's carrying injury. How do you fight against what is perceived to be, you know, chasing the players in the market to try and keep everyone together? How, how does how come you guys are so successful in keeping your group together? Yeah, list management's the most important thing you get to do inside your club to keep you. Well, sorry, one of the most important things you do inside your club to keep a really successful team together on the field. We've been able to do that here largely at South. Um, we've made the last five prelim finals, um, and that's been built on keeping a core group of players together. But we've also been unafraid to make big decisions where what we value a player at and the salary cap is different to their perception. We've been willing to allow players to move on. Um, our captain um, left the club after we made a grand final because we just couldn't come to an agreement in terms of contract contract length um, and contract value. And in the midst of all this, the NRL is in the middle of trying to nail down a new CBA and salary cap going forward, which hasn't helped clubs in our code. Um, but something we we went on a journey probably six years ago at our club where we would invest much more heavily into player development. Um, when I first arrived at the club, we actually, it sounds outrageous, made a profit from our pathways program. We were affiliated to uh, another team that managed our reserve grade side um, and another organization completely managed our junior rep program. We've now brought all of that in-house. So you will wear red and green, cardinal and versal. You wear the Rabbitohs colors from under six days onwards. Um, you wear it in reserve grade. We've got a great women's program. Comes in a massive investment, sort of two and a half to three million dollars a year. Whereas we were historically making a profit from that space. But what that has meant in terms of our list management is we're now we are now developing the players to go into our top thirty. Whereas in the past we had to we were one of those clubs trying to poach a great player from somewhere else and bring them in. Generally speaking, you've got to pay more to do that. Um, whereas if you're developing them yourselves. They're often local juniors. Uh, they've got a sense of loyalty to the club. We're very lucky. We have a great relationship with our playing group, and we speak really openly and honestly about our cap and about our plans with our playing group. So our guys know that they could earn more money elsewhere. There is no doubt. Our coach spoke about it publicly. Um, Latrell Mitchell and Cody Walker, Damien Cook, three of our senior players, um, three of the best players in rugby league, they could have left. They could have earned 10 to 20% more somewhere else. But they chose to stick at this club with this group of players because we're on the verge of something special um, and you only get that sort of buy-in from your players that willingness to forego money when you've got a relationship built on honesty when they know that they know you're not just negotiating them down that that's the reality of your salary cap position that's when you get great buy-in from the players in my experience um, we've been able to sign a really good free agent talent for next season um, and I sort of sent the rugby league world into a bit of a flutter how can South afford a representative player he's a great player Jack White and um, how can they afford it and the simple answer is the players we have here all could earn more money elsewhere and we've got guys off contract who we spoke to them and said look we want to bring Jack White in that might take a bit of money off the table from you and they were okay with that because they know the quality that um, he'll bring to our team and they'd rather win cops than um, lose another pre-league final if you know what I mean so that, that that's at the, the heart of it for us is really open dialogue with the current players we have and also a willingness to make tough decisions. I mean, there were effigies birds of our um, head of footing when we let Adam Reynolds leave our club. Um, a lot of really, you know, understandably, local junior captain of the joint. Um, but sometimes you might have to make really hard decisions to keep the balance of your team together. So, Brock, I mean, maybe zooming out a little bit, what are some of the the 
bigger challenges at the club and maybe even the league generally are navigating at the moment? Like, like what else keeps you up at night? The thing that keeps me up at night, and I, I probably come to my role mostly, I love the game and I love the grassroots of the game. And before I was at South, I was running a Queensland Cup, a reserve grade, a VFL club. Um, and I've still got deep connections to the people who are volunteering every day at junior footy to keep our game alive. And that's where that's what loses me sleep. Our game is not doing a good enough job of bringing new players into our code. Um, and we're not doing a good enough job of supporting the people who keep it alive as volunteers every weekend. Um, participation, both for players and of volunte- volunteers, is a massive issue. I think part of that is, as the game... As the game has received a lot more money, both AFL and NRL, I believe this to be true. Um, the people who used to volunteer, who used to aspire to become their club president, to then maybe be their local footy competition president, to get to just spend that time as volunteering their whole life, getting on different boards and committees, becoming life members, giving themselves to the game. To some extent, their jobs have been replaced by sports administrators by full-time paid staff, people who are now paid to be a competition manager. That job used to be done by someone who volunteered and maybe they got an honorarium of, you know, three or four grand a year. But So those volunteers are both leaving the game as a result, but that younger generation of volunteers has nothing to aspire to outside of full-time work in the game. So in some ways, by putting more money into staff at grassroots, I think we've created this other issue in the game where volunteers leave because they don't feel that sense of ownership and that sense of engagement that's a massive issue and then we've got a massive issue running our club every day because we we have no clarity on our collective bargaining agreement um so the nrl and the rlpa are really been at um at each other's throats it would seem for 18 months about the future of player remuneration to your question earlier warren around uh bed hunt and contract models and when you can negotiate with another club. He's on contract for another two years, Ben Hunt, um, but he can put a gun to the head of his club to talk about a release um, because that's where the power imbalance currently exists. An NRL contract, quite rightly, is, is guaranteed. Players shouldn't, um, players shouldn't have to worry about their employment, so I understand that. Um, but Ben Hunt's got a lot of power now to agitate for a move out of St. George. He's their captain, their marquee player. On, you know, they say he's on a million dollars a year, he's likely to be playing at another club next year. But that is that part of the game needs to be fixed. Um, and as I understand it, that was recently taken. The NRL have been agitating for that as part of their CBA negotiation to change our trade windows and negotiating periods. Um, and they've unfortunately, for not the first time, they've given up in trying to get change there as part of the negotiation. So it seems at least for the next four to five-year cycle that imbalance and that ability for players to sign contracts 12 months out to if they're unhappy leave a club the stuff that really just upsets fans when you talk to the people in the stand they just they are just upset seeing a guy run around in their jersey knowing he's going to be in another team's jersey in 12 months that's the stuff um we've got to look at it's the great danger in all professional sport isn't it is to to not listen to the so-called white noise what clubs can sometimes say that the fans oh they're just agitating but the Ben Hunt is a classic example of marquee player captain of your club yeah if there is a face and a name to that club right now it's him and he wants to get up and leave after signing contract no doubt he's got his reasons but from the outside it just 
it doesn't look doesn't show great leadership and it doesn't show great culture. And there's yeah, two of the three pillars you probably talk about earlier. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think um, I'm sure Ben Hunt does have his reasons. I'm sure they're valid. Um, so George have been struggling for for a decent period of time, and they have just moved on a head coach that you know Ben Hunt knew when he was 18 years old. I can understand being um, It's not Ben Hunt's fault. It's the rules of the game that are at fault here. You, you know, I can't. I won't judge Ben Hunt for doing what so many other players have done and what is available to them inside our system. The system needs to change. The players deserve every bit of protection they have. It just doesn't sit right, does it? If I was a St. George member and I know a few, um, it just doesn't sit well with it. And that's the game. The game has got to fix that. Absolutely. Now, Brock, as we finish off, um, we've talked about some of the challenges, but what about the the opportunities and competitive advantages that you see perhaps, you know, for, uh, for the Bunnies, but also more broadly for the league as well? I think our club's... Put, puts itself at the cutting edge of sort of everything we do. And an example, if I talk about this facility, um, you deal with a lot of different suppliers, people who have outfitted high performance centers for lots of other clubs. And they expect you to go into conversations to grind them down to the last dollar and grind it into a sponsorship to help defray the cost. We started all our conversations. What we want from you is the equipment, for example. Um, but what we are asking you for is not a sponsorship, not a discount. But we want the guarantee to know that the next bit of technology you have, the next, uh, whether it's a piece of gym equipment, whether it's part of our tech stack, um, whatever it is, we want to beta test it. We want to have access to it before any of our competitors. Um, we've been able to do that through um, the procurement of this facility. Um, our commercial staff, I take a hat off to all of the team who run our digital programs, our content programs, work with our members, consumer business sponsorship. On all the key metrics in the NRL, we're the leading team in Sydney, and Sydney's like Melbourne, an unbelievably cluttered sporting market. Not just rugby league clubs, but Big Bash, AFL, you name it, we've got it here in Sydney. And we're number one in almost every metric. They do a bloody great job, um, and they're always pushing um, the boundary. They're pushing the NRL always to be able to do things the way we best see it. Um, instead of perhaps a solution that works for 16 clubs but might not, might not best suit us. So that's probably where we sit as a club. We're, we are an agitator um, in the rugby league ecosystem where sometimes that rubs people the wrong way, but we, we have to do what's best for our club. Um, and, and we do that, I think, every day. Um, we spend a lot of time talking about professional development with our staff. The club sent me um, in the off-season. I spent time at NASA in Houston. Um, I spent time at the Houston Ballet Company, um, got to the UK and spent time with Scottish Rugby and um, the club supports our staff to do that. And, you know, PD trips are pretty common, but to go to your board and say, I want to go and spend time at NASA and at a ballet company, it sort of raises some eyebrows. We've taken some ideas back from, um, we've taken some ideas back from those two organisations that have um, already improved what we do in our footy program, um, which, which, that's what you got to do if you're going to be the best. You can't just copy from your competitor. What did, what did you learn from NASA and the ballet company out of interest? What were the big takeaways? So NASA had a, had a heap. So we spent two days there um, and much of it with the astronaut training and recruitment team. So I, I might get the numbers wrong now, but for every vacancy in the astronaut corps, they had something like 60,000 qualified applicants. So by qualified applicants, that means like, people with double PhDs, you know, Navy test pilots, Olympians, um, they had 60,000 of those 
and then you're picking one. Um, and I took us through that whole process and it's, uh, it's as taxing as you could ever imagine. I asked one of the astronauts, because in the end, it's almost the astronauts who make the decision on who's going to join them. And um, one of the ladies said to me, she said, Brock, in the end, it comes down to who do I want to go camping with? Because who am I going to get? Let's think about the International Space Station. I've got a decent sized office here. That This is the living control and almost the exercise quarters on the International Space Station. It's got to be someone you want to go camping with because you're going to be living with that person for six months at a time. Um, and we just took that as a good reminder for how we do our recruitment. Um, just always important to ask those questions that, and not just player recruitment, but staff recruitment because I think that's one of the hardest things to get right, particularly when you've got a soft cap and financial pressure. And then the Houston Ballet Company, um, so they have two things that are really impressive. They develop the most number of their own uh, artists into their top ballet company of any major ballet company in the world. So the sporting analogy, they've got the most juniors progressing to their first grade team of any of their competitors. And it's incredible, their facility. It is an academy. Uh, what they do to develop those young artists from not just sort of high socioeconomic backgrounds like most, um, what you'd imagine most people in the ballet and the arts tend to be, but because it's an access issue, but they spend a lot of money on equity, in, inclusion, diversity, uh, and they developed them to their top company. So we took some stuff out of that. Um, our high-performance teams are actually still doing some monthly Zooms on things like prehab. So some of the stretching that the um, ballet, the ballerinas do, we take it as really relevant to things we do around our soft tissue management. Uh, and then the other thing that we took away was their philanthropic programs. Um, so I mentioned what they do around equity and inclusion. Uh, we've taken some of their lessons on how they fund that and brought it back into our pathway in um, and the new sort of product model we have has generated almost 400 grand in donations this year to our pathway that's been sort of stolen straight from the Houston Ballet Company. Just before we finish, can you go next door to uh, JD's office, the head coach, and say, I want a front recruiter front rower who I can go camping with and watch, and just fill me space and see what he says? <laughs> well, to be fair, JD was there for that um, part of the conversation, Pastor, so... He, he know what I'm talking about, but, but yeah, there's lots of ideas I throw JD's way that um, put a certain um, picture on his face. We're lucky. I um, I work with JD at the Northern Pride um, well before we both logged up at South Sydney, so we've got a pretty good relationship. Yeah. You need to have that good relationship between your sort of GMs of footy and your head coach. If you can't say something that makes the other one call you an idiot um, in the next minute call you a genius, then you shouldn't be working together. Yeah, because when you look at front rowers and state of origin and watching the Rabbitohs smash in in the finals, you don't think your front rowers are going to be campers, do you? Yeah, and, and to be fair, I don't want to go camping with Tom Burgess. Um, I love it. <laughs> well, Brock, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on the show. Really appreciate you kind of opening up the doors and um, and kind of revealing everything that's going on. Uh, <laughs> not just within the club, but also the game and, and where you see things heading. So we really appreciate your time. That's been a pleasure, guys. It was a real fun conversation. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Big Deal. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.